I'm Q, and this is Bird Road. We got a big show today, but first, uh, some of our live shows want to remind you, coming up February 17th on President's Day, we've got the All Presidents Go to Hell show at Golden Tiki in Las Vegas. Uh, that's at 7 p.m. On March 15th, we've got the, the Rising Tides of March at Gramps in Woodwood here in Miami. That's also going to be at 7 o'clock. Both of them are on Eventbrite. Both of them are on Facebook. So let us know if you're coming. And of course, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review to the show and Apple Podcasts. During this time of year, we, we sort of have a tendency to get wrapped up in national stories and the horse race, politics, things like that, Democratic primaries. But Miami stories already this year have already given us a pile of, of things to talk about. And that's why we have our, our guest in the studio today. And he is a local reporter, an award-winning author, photojournalist, uh, Miami Gadfly, a, a publisher of the Crespo Graham newsletter where he writes about corruption throughout Miami. You can find that at crespogramnews.com. He is the last person or one of the last people that the commissioners like to see on the dais in, uh, in City Hall. Al Crespo, welcome to Bird Road. Hey, pleasure to be here. Um, look, we're going to get into the recent spate of crazy, insane stories that have been coming out of Miami and uh, a bunch of other weird stuff. But first, I got to ask you, have you ever eaten iguana meat? Nope. No. <laughs> don't have, don't have any good? interest. I heard they're making tacos out of it right yeah, now. Yeah, don't have any interest. They're, 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 supposedly, they're laying all over the ground because of the weather. <laughs> I saw some pictures that people yeah. were taking of the iguanas. It's uh, a ball. Uh, a, right now, it's back up to like a balmy, I don't know, about 50 degrees. But this morning, it was in the in the 30s. And, yes, it was. Yeah. Um, so I actually do want to really start by, by sort of introducing you to our listeners and um, giving you a little background on you. You didn't take the typical route into journalism. You've got a pretty colorful past, and I wanted you to talk about your your journey with you know to where the po- to the point where you are at now, and uh, how you found yourself covering this city. Well, in my early years, I used to rob banks and other establishments. I was a stick up guy. Uh, wasn't very successful at it. Was a quite successful prisoner, in the sense that I spent a lot of years in prison. Uh, most of them in solitary confinement for telling the wardens how to run their prison. Uh, got out when I was 42. Got into the film business by happenstance. Uh, was in the film business for about 30 years. Uh, used to produce music videos, television commercials. AD, to, that's assistant directed a couple of feature films. Uh, Enjoyed the business, was fortunate to be able to get into business. And that's really how I got into doing what I'm doing now because when Tomas Rigolato was elected mayor in 2010, so Rigolato fired uh, the guy who was the, the film liaison guy. He was called the film commissioner. Uh, he was the guy that issued the permits. If, if you intend to film any kind of project on public property, you require permits, you need to be able to get off-duty police, you need to be able to control a lot of factors in order to put 50, 60 people on the street or more right. to, to do something. Notoriously tough in Miami to, to get the permitting. I mean, at least these days, right? Well, nowadays, yeah. yeah. I mean, back then, uh, it was we had a lot more business, so there was a lot more attention paid uh, to, to doing it and doing it the right way. So Rigolato appointed a guy who had been a radio ad salesman who had worked on his campaign. And that guy had really no clue as to what the job entailed and really wasn't interested in learning the job. He was more interested in, instead of being a film commissioner, 
of being the film ambassador. Mm. And his view of the job was to hang out on movie sets, hang around the, the craft service table, yeah, smooth it up with the, with, the, with the actors, and don't worry about the bureaucratic stuff. So I started a little blog, a little tiny blog, uh, about this guy. Uh, his name was Harry. So I started writing about Harry. And I started doing it for my colleagues in the film industry because my goal was to get Harry fired because he was, he was grossly incompetent yeah. and wasn't going to do a good job. And I thought at the time that, you know, that that was something I could do. And so I did. And it took about a year. I got Harry fired. Of course, I didn't get Harry fired. Harry got himself fired. Yeah. But in the process, through writing about Harry, this bizarre, wonderful, incredible world opened up to me about public corruption in the city of Miami. Mm. I had no knowledge who any of these people were. Like most people who live in most American cities, I knew who the mayor was because I'd see him on TV or read about him in the paper. But I had no awareness of the intricacies of municipal governance, which is really what I write about. I don't write about politics, per se. I don't write about Republicans and Democrats and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I write about municipal governance. I write about how people spend money, don't spend money, how public policy is made, how public policy is abused. Power and influence and things Th Those like that. kinds yeah. of things. So I got introduced to this world, and the stories were amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. And moreover... As I started writing about these things, I had people who started reading about me, you know, reading the things I was writing, who worked in City Hall and worked in, in the administrative building, what's called the MRC here. Mm -hmm. And since nobody knew who I was, I was able to just slip around and go from office to office and talk to people quietly and... People so did you wear a press badge or anything like nothing, that? Nothing, nothing. I just wandered around the hallways of the MRC talking mm -hmm. to people. And people would tell me stories. And I'd write them. And so the next time I came back, did you see the story I write? No, let me go look at it. And they started realizing that I was actually taking the time to do research, right. to go look at records, to, to, to actually report to do what, you know, what a reporter does. And the Miami Herald had a guy who was a, a, a city hall reporter, and people would say, well, you know, I gave that guy these documents, or I gave that guy a CD with this stuff, or I gave that guy that, and he's never done anything with it. Yeah. So I started telling people, so, if it's me. valid, yeah. I'll do something with it. And I did. My claim to fame that really got me from being just some nut guy running around writing crazy things or, you know, stuff about the city. Yeah, just being a random blogger. To, right, yeah. was that I got the information that the mayor and the chief of police were in a big fight, and the mayor wanted the chief of police to resign, and they attempted to bribe him with a $400,000 bribe, that they would give him $200,000 upon saying yes, and that they would give him another $200,000 after he submitted his resignation. And so yeah. I broke that story. And that was a story that kind of like 
took me to the next level. Took me to the level where people said, that guy knows what he's talking about. And that was 10 years ago. And how'd that come about? You were just looking through public records? No, no, no. They came to me. They came to me. I had, I had, I had started developing sources. Yeah. I had a source who came to me and said, hey, this is the story. Right. Here it is. Pull on this. And, and I did. Yeah. And then and the next day, I wrote the story on one day. And the next day, it was close to a holiday where people tend to go out and shoot guns into the air. So there was a press conference. The Miami tradition, yeah. <laughs> there was a press conference that was scheduled for the mayor and the chief of police to show up. Now, the afternoon that after my story broke, reporters were at City Hall, and the mayor denied the story, denied, claimed that there was nothing to it, that he didn't know anything about it. And the next morning, when the, the press and everybody showed up for this press conference about the shooting guns up in the air, they were still pestering the mayor about this story. And along comes the chief of police, and so they all went to him and said, what about this story that Crespo wrote? And he said, yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and that was he like... He didn't get the memo, I guess. <laughs> right. And that was like, oh, really? You know, so that's... Uh, and over the years, I've broken, I think, some, some really important stories that nobody else has broken. Yeah. Uh, I continue to write, uh, you know, I now have... 10 years of institutional memory, which is to do what I do is, is invaluable. I've written over 2,000 stories. All, I got two and a half years that I lost. I have the archives, but I, they're not online. But other than that, I've got about eight years worth of stories online that people can go read. As, as somebody who's been reading the uh, Crespo, CrespoGramNews.com for a while, I'll say one thing that you should get a lot of credit for is consistency and not having... Um, a lot of local reporting a lot of times will be filler. It'll be uh, hidden PR pieces or puff pieces if you follow sort of the traditional outlets, especially in Miami, but in a lot of cities on a local level. And you never get any of that with, with, with what you write. It's always, you know, the, 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 the classic journalism trope is about, um, you know, comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. And your stuff is always afflicting the comfortable, and I like that. And I think that anybody well, who endeavors to do that should try to do that. I mean, I've developed a set of rules and, and policies and procedures that I adhere to myself. But the one thing that I, I believe in and believed in from the very beginning was that I'm not a stenographer. I write about things that nobody wants to, nobody who has the information wants to have that information out. I don't write press releases. I don't, you know, if you go and look at the, the and, and the city has a, a, a process, a system, a, uh, an application that shows you all the public requests that are made. If you go look, put in my name and look at, type in the names of the Herald reporters, you'll see that one guy's gotten three public records requests, another guy's got 12 or 13, and I got about 80. <laughs> Those 80 represent documents that nobody in City Hall wanted me to, to, to get my hands on. Right. You know, now, that's not to say that they don't get their sources of documents, too. But by and large, I, I, I'm proud of the fact that when it comes to getting documents, not only do I get them, but I post them. I'm a firm believer that people should be entitled to read the actual documents. Because a lot of times, 
you know, there's a false sense of equivalency that has developed in, in the mainstream media. Oh, well, you know, we have to go ask that person whether or not it's true. Well, you know, if you have a public official who writes a letter, writes an email, or generates a document where he puts what he actually believes or what he wants people to believe, and I get hold of it, I tend to take him at his word. That's true because that document and its intention and what that public official put down on paper supersedes whatever bullshit comes later when they go through their communications people and they go through their lawyers and they figure out yeah. what our, what's our right statement on this issue. Right. Fuck that. You have the statement. It's what you did. It's right. in your actions right there. Yeah, and again, until I came along, prior to my doing what I started doing, what I continue to do today, most people in City Hall had no inclination or understanding of the impact of emails. People wrote stuff all the time to each other. Offhanded. With the, with the expectation that nobody other than the person they were sending it to right. would ever see those documents. or see you know, and, and what really blew their mind was that very early on, I went to the guy who was the assistant uh, director of the IT department. And I just asked him, I said, listen, how much would you charge me if I came in here with, a, with an empty hard drive and asked you to give me all the emails for the last year for the mayor and all the members of the city commission? And he said, well, nobody's ever had done that. <laughs> I said, well, think about it. So he said, I will. Yeah. So I came back a couple of days later. He said, 75 bucks. I <laughs> said, okay, bad. I'll be right back. So I went to, to an office supply store bought a hard drive, bought it back, gave them to him, and a couple of days later, I walked out of the MRC building with a million hard, with a million emails and documents, attachments and all that stuff. And that was, you know, now I've got over three, three and a half million emails that I've collected. I'm constantly, every opportunity I have, I am constantly going and, and snatching emails from anywhere I can get them because even though they might not be important to me today, yeah, they can be context later. They can be content for something that, that comes up later. Right. Because and and that's that's another source of doing what what I do and and what other people who if you want to do that, you have to build an archive of, of of relevant information that you can constantly refer to, because you never know. It just things come up like right right now. I did a story that's up online now. Yeah, one of the one of the story one of the pieces of my story it's about ho homelessness in the city of Miami. Yeah, it's the most recent story that's up on the site right. right now, yeah. So so one of those parts of that story dealt with an article that was written in 2012 that included an article that was written in 2007. Mm -hmm. And that's all really relevant information today. It was relevant information then. But now we're so many years further down the road and the same things are going on. So I'm able to say, this is what happened then and this is what's happening now and there's been no change. And in the interim period, there's been tens and tens of millions of dollars spent on supposedly taking care of the homeless problem in Miami. Right. And we have the same number of people, the same kinds of problems, and nothing's changed. Right, yeah. Um, have you noticed adjustments from the people that you report on and these public officials to try to evade your 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 gaze or oh yeah listen it's it's a constant battle i've i've sued 
the city. I had the, uh, I've sued the city. I threatened to sue the city about once a month for for one public rec re records request or another that they refused to give me. Uh, you know, sometimes they give me part of a public records request. Sometimes, you know, it takes six, eight, ten months before I get the documents. Yeah, delay. And yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 sued the city, I sued the city and the Downtown Development Authority. It took three years. On the eve of going to trial, they settled. They had to pay my attorneys $20,000 in, in attorney's fees for, 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 for that case. It. You know, and and uh, there's a so far I know of three cases where the city in total has paid fifty thousand dollars to attorneys because of their refusal or you know efforts to to like comply withhold, with sunshine, yeah, withhold public records. Hmm. Sure, they understand now exactly what when I show up if I ask for something. It's a loaded question. For they them. know they yeah. know I haven't come because it's something that's that's you know going to make them look like uh, nice people. So speaking of that, let's turn to the city. Last week okay. there was this uh, this dust up between city commissioners, Ken Hardiman and Joe Carollo. There's no motion. I already passed. Sir, sir, you're interrupting you're me. You're out of order. Sir. No, I'm not out of order. I'm the chairman. I'm in you order. Are, you're, you're out of order, sir. Motion it does not has matter. been made it, and has passed. So, so I'm speaking. You can't reverse the decision. It does not matter. However you all come together and created a plan to hijack the Miami City Commission. There is no motion no, to it. No, it's no about motion. something else that's very so different. So I'm going to recognize well. Mr. Barreto. You will not you do cannot. that. You will not Mr. Barreto, do that. You, you, you cannot. You violate our motion. You recognize the speaker. I make a motion that we stick. You are recognized I, you, you are not. This I make a motion. Madam City Attorney. I move that we adjourn the meeting. You can meet with me any time you like. We have an issue with commissioners who want to abuse their authority. And that's what this has come to. And so the city of Miami will suffer as long as they continue to act like children and do that. There is not one person on this board that's going to cower to anyone who's tried to use their political authority to make a fool out of this Miami City Commission. We're here to do a job. And what the problem here is that because you don't like majority day. rule. All you don't like day. democracy. You want it the way it was. All day. How much, how much money has said man raised for you? How much money has said man raised for you? Give us context if you can about what was really going on behind the scenes of this and what, what like preempted this, this, this blow up between these two factions that are sort of starting to form in City Hall in Miami. Well, they're not starting to form. They have, have formed, form. yeah. Uh, what you have is, well, that's complicated because, because I don't know... The fight between Joe and Keon was really just part of a sideshow. Mm. The real story is that Joe Carroyo is, in many ways, a really smart guy. But he in, he's also, in many ways, a very flawed individual. Mm. You know, he's, he's, he's a guy who's been around public politics in the city of Miami since the 80s. Was a mayor at one point. He was the mayor. He was he was he was elected to a city commission at the age of twenty four. He, uh, you know, he's he, he's learned all the tricks, uh, created some of those tricks himself. <laughs> he 
got he's kind of like a Donald Trump figure. Yeah. That same kind a of, of person. A lot, a lot of, of similarities similar yeah. with, 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 with his approach to, to how he deals with people and how he deals with issues. Bombastic, vindictive, paranoid to you know to a great degree. Very loose with the truth. Oh, just I was before I came here. I, I was recording one of his one of his tirades on uh, at a city commission from a couple of months back that I intend to use in a story. But Joe has Joe is a control freak. Joe wants to be not only the mayor; he wants to be the dictator. Yeah. Joe Carroyo wants, for as much as, and, and you know, and here we get into the Cuban thing, uh, and you can't avoid the Cuban thing in Miami because this is really at the core of a lot of this. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm in, I I feel I'm entitled to talk about the Cuban thing because <laughs> I'm a Cuban myself. You know, I was born in Havana, unlike some of these people who weren't born in Havana. And and uh, Joe, in many ways, wants to become the Fidel Castro of Miami. As much as he rails about communism and dictatorships yes, or whatever, it's funny how that works. He is—he is, in fact, a man who, if he had the opportunity, would be the Fidel Castro of Miami. Mm -hmm. So he was looking for a Raúl Castro because he needs help to do what he wants to do. So he has one commissioner, a guy named Manolo Reyes. Who, in many ways, I like. I think Manolo's got a good heart. I think Manolo's got the concerns of his constituents and the concerns of the older segment of the population in his in his mind. But he's also in kind of in bed with Joe. Mm -hmm. But they only represented two votes. Right. And Manolo, I think, if push come to shove. And, and he has, on a couple of occasions, risen up against Joe. But Joe needs a three-vote majority. So the opportunity presented itself last year when Willie Gort, who was the district for the commissioner for District 1, which is the Alapata uh, area of Miami, which is almost large and totally Hispanic, right. uh, made up of not only Cubans but Dominicans and yeah, more recent arrivals. Uh, yeah, from, from know, Venezuelans, a lot of right. people from a lot, a lot of, of different countries. In Latin America, yeah, Nicaragua and whatnot. So, a guy named Alex De La Portilla, uh, another longtime Cuban politician, uh, who had name for people in Miami who, who had uh, who had the year before run for county commission and lost, and who had twice before that run for state senator or state representative and lost, uh, ran for district one. Well, he won. So all of a sudden, Joe now has a three-vote majority. It's a five-member city commission. So he's got himself, he's got Alex, and he's got Manolo. And so these guys clearly have set out with an overarching agenda of things that they want to do. And the first thing they want to do is just fuck with the mayor of Miami and fuck with the with the with the, with the city, city manager, manager. Yeah. and and the sad part of it is that the only reason Joe Carroyo is even on the city commission was just the cowardice of the mayor of Miami. This is a young guy who who's all about look and 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 and, and show and and, and, yeah. and and all that crap, 
and he has no he has no 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 real fiber, no real backbone, no courage, because when he got elected, he collected two million dollars to run against three people who collectively together raised and spent one thousand dollars. <laughs> Understand that. A guy raises $2 million from all the power players in Miami, all the lobbyists, all the lawyers, all the developers, all of these people. He raised $2 million in his campaign and in his PAC to run against three people who raised $1,000. And for, for our, for our non-Miami listeners who don't know this, we're talking about Mayor Francis Suarez, Francis Suarez. who is uh, the latest in a line of a political family here in Miami. And right whose father is my, who was a former mayor and happens to be my city, my county commissioner right now. It's a lot of the same last names that you hear, and the, the current mayor of Miami is an example of that. And, and the thing is that when Joe was in city government, Francis's father was the mayor, mm -hmm. and they ran against each other for mayor. And Joe succeeded in knocking Francis's father out out of the mayor, Francis's father won the election, and then it was discovered that he, he had engaged in absentee ballot fraud. Right. And he is the only person who's ever been, only elected official in Miami-Dade County, ever removed from office for absentee ballot fraud. Right. There's a famous story about a guy, Manuel Yip, who supposedly voted for, 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 uh, for hey, Xavier hey, Suarez. Hey, Xavier Manuel Yip, voted out of the cemetery <laughs> he was dead so we have a continuation of this of this feud between xavier suarez and and joe carroyo decades old now now yeah. carry forward to the feud between francis suarez and joe carroyo mm -hmm. so when francis got elected mayor the following sunday he appeared on a local sunday talk show here you know one of these news shows on on channel 10 and they asked him about the fact of whether or not Francis would support a guy named Alfie Leon who had managed to get into a runoff with Joe mm -hmm. for his District 3 commission seat. And Francis said, well, no, because I'm going to have to work with whoever gets elected, so I'm going to stay out of the race. Right. Now, Francis's father, Xavier, was all in. He was out there trying to make sure. sure that Joe didn't get elected. But Francis didn't do that. Had Francis, with over a million dollars in his bank account, and with, a, with, 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 with an 85% voter majority, had he come out and said, listen, I'm going to be the next mayor. I need help in trying to get the things I need. Yeah. Why don't you come on my ticket? Yeah. yeah. No, no, not why don't you come on my ticket? I want all the people in District 3, if you care about our city, mm -hmm. I want you to vote for Alfie Leon right. because I need Alfie to help me do what I think we need to do for the city. Mm. Instead, he said back, Joe did his usual craziness and, and, <laughs> and the, you know, the, all the things that happen in Miami politics when it comes to, to elections. Right. Joe got elected by 400 yeah. votes. Once Joe got elected... That was it. Yeah. Now he's your problem. Now he's your problem. And 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 he did the same thing with Alex De La Portilla. Mm -hmm. 
the very same thing. Didn't come out and support any of the other candidates. Waited until Alex Del Portillo himself got into a, a, a runoff. And, then so, and only this time he said, oh, I'm going to support Alex. Well, the very first thing they did is screw him. And tomorrow, which is, we're talking on a Wednesday, the city right. commission meeting is going to be on Thursday, the next day, tomorrow. There are two agenda items on the agenda. First, to cut down the mayor's salary. Mm-hmm. And secondly, because he's a lawyer, they want to put restrictions on his job, his outside job. Right. In terms of who he can represent and yeah. what he has to report. Yeah. And guess who's going to guess who's going to make the motion for all that? Crazy Joe. Crazy Joe and Alex. <laughs> it's it, yeah, it's and on the mayor's side of things, he has not really the strongest allies in terms of the remaining yeah. commissioners, Ken Russell, who's proven to be kind of a bag in the wind on a lot of this stuff. Uh, he's just embarrassing. And I and I'm sorry to say that because I was and he is he is publicly admitted that I am I am responsible for him even getting in the election because he was. The, the, the seat that he ran for, District 2, uh, the guy who had that seat back in 2015 had termed out, and he ran his wife. He wanted his wife to run. Right. This so was uh, the Mark Sarnoff. Yeah, Sarnoff. The, yeah. Mark, so he wanted Mark Sarnoff. Mark Sarnoff put his wife up to run in his right. place to continue to have control over District 2, and that was just unacceptable. Yeah. And I had seen met this guy and i thought well hey you know he, he doesn't know anything about city government but at least he seemed like a, a you know a fresh a, a fresh a, a fresh face he's well, got a, i'll tell you i met him i met him when he was running for and he was only a couple years into the job at the time and he was running in the primary that was eventually won by donna shalala for congressional right. district 27 and i got the same feeling from from him and we're talking about ken russell current uh, city commissioner um and then the first red flag for me was when they passed a new rule in the state where you had to basically now you have to uh, abandon your your existing seat if you're running for higher office. And he wasn't willing to do that. There were some other people that were uh, throughout the state and also in that congressional district. That was just the first kind of like, how committed really are you? You know, and, and then, you know, uh, folks like you have been very critical of, of Russell, I think rightly, for a lot of his flip-flopping and sort of mealy mouth oh, approach. He's, to, yeah, to no, he's just, it's embarrassing. I call him, I started out calling him selfie boy because the thing is that he came into office, had not only not voted in a municipal or, or, or local government election in over 10 years, but he actually didn't know anything about the mechanics of the job. And instead of devoting time to, to really learning the job, because, again, it's a craft. There's a craft yeah. to, to, to being a public official, like there's a craft in doing what you do here on this on this podcast and what a lot of jobs entail. You have to learn the, the, the intricacies of the job. So he's on the job six months or something like that, and all of a sudden he starts campaigning to become a delegate to the national convention. Right. He had p- kept pretty quiet the fact that he was a Democrat yeah. because it's a nonpartisan race. But all of a sudden, he starts uh, talking about he's a Democrat and, and, and starting to talk all these progressive Democratic values, which are just fine, no problem with that. But he says, I'm going to the De- Democratic National Convention. Right. 
And the problem with that for a guy like him is that you find people, if, if you've never had the opportunity and get the opportunity to, to, to be in that environment, you realize that a lot of people that you see on television all the time are really not all that smart. <laughs> you know? That's true. I mean, they're really not all that smart. And, and if you hang around politicians for any length of time, you'll get the impression or you'll get the feel, you know, I can do what that guy's doing. Right. And so he went he went to it's the Democratic a really perfect example of that. He yeah. went he went to the Democratic National Convention and proceeded to just take selfie after selfie after selfie with every single person that he could he could pop next to. Right? And started putting them on Twitter and all that. He just thought this was great. And he came back, and the next thing was, well, I'm going to run for Congress. He hadn't been a city commissioner for a year when he decides he wants to run for Congress. Yeah. And at the same time, he hadn't learned Robert's Rules of Order. Yeah, he didn't even know procedural stuff at that point. Right. And, but yet he envisioned himself as, 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 as a new white hope. Right. right? An, another one of these progressive young, you know, zippy-doos that's going to yeah. go out there and save the world. And he couldn't save Miami. And he hasn't saved Miami. And so what they did to him last week or was they took away all his chairmanships. Yeah. You know. Yeah, he, he got, and that was the outcome of that power struggle is that it looks like, insanely enough, but it looks like following that, we haven't even talked about the eventual resignation of the city manager, uh, Milo Gonzalez, but... It really seems like Joe Carroyo is the most powerful member of government right now. He is, without question, he is the unofficial mayor and dictator of Miami. Talk us through how that happened. How did how did it how did it come to pass just recently that um, all of Suarez's sort of clan lost this influence, and that in in this huge fight or this this sort of back and forth that they had this dust up, that that was the resolution. I mean, it, it's, it, I think it feels like a lot of it was rooted in the loss of uh, Suarez's failure to, to earn the strong mayor, I think about a year and a half sure. ago. In, in, but give us the context. Joe waged that fight. Yeah. Joe was the one responsible for, for, for in large part, for, for waging the fight to block Francis Suarez from becoming strong mayor. As soon as Francis Suarez got elected, and the reason he had all that money in, 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 in his bank account, in his pack and whatever, was that he turned around two months after, three months after being elected mayor and started a whole new campaign to become a strong mayor because Miami operates on a city manager form of government. Mm -hmm. So the city manager is the person who is actually the, the, the manager, the administrator of the city. The mayor is a ceremonial mayor, an executive mayor. He issues proclamations, keys to the city. He has the ability to veto items that the, that the city commission passes. And uh, he gets the opportunity. He can, he can appoint the city manager with the acceptance and approval of the, of the city commission. But those are basically all the powers that he has, right. other than a bully puppet. So he wanted to become the strong mayor, and Joe fought him, and Joe won. So what happened was 
and and I don't see as as much as I disagree with Joe, and I've had some some pretty knockdown dragouts, and expect to have even more knockdown dragouts. Joe is not completely wrong. Mm. Joe Joe is, Joe might be crazy, but he's not a fool. If you understand right. you know, the, the uh, distinction in this situation, it feels like one of those. Uh, a broken clock is even right a few right. times. Right, he yeah. is, and, and and two weeks ago when the big dust up occurred, it occurred because Joe had, and I'm sure that it was somebody in the building department who tipped him off, <laughs> had uncovered information that alleged that the city manager built a a a a deck an outside patio on his in the back of his house and had done it without permits and had also cut down a couple of major trees in his backyard, again, had done it without permits. So Joe has had a hard-on for first the mayor and secondly the city manager. He's had a hard-on for the mayor because of the whole family relationship between the mayor, the mayor's father. You know, it goes back to the 80s. He has a hard-on for the current mayor because he just thinks that he should be the mayor <laughs> in a, <something's, laughs> a strange way. Yeah, that the, the, he yeah, thinks it, he always should have been mayor and right. never should have stopped being right, mayor. <laughs> exactly. That, that, that's probably a, a good way as any to put it. So he's, he's, he's had this hard-on with Francis. So... I've had a hard-on with the mayor, and I've had a hard-on with, with the city manager. As a matter of fact, uh, as I put in one of my stories when, when last week, the morning of the commission meeting, the very first story I wrote about the city manager, the headline was, you're not in Kansas anymore. I had, I had no expectation that he would be around long. Right. Uh, he's left a record of less than sterling accomplishment, no matter how much he talks about Oh, I've done. I've got a career, and I've got a resume, and look yeah. at all the great for, things. For those I did. of our, our listeners who don't know who we're talking about, it's Emilio Gonzalez. Who, if you recognize that name, then you probably used to pay attention to the staff of um, George W. Bush, uh, where Emilio Gonzalez came from. I think he was a, a cabinet member. Uh, and no, then, he wasn't a cabinet member. No, he wasn't a cabinet member. He was a an advisor. He was, no, he was he was the director of the of the immigration service. Director of immigration services, right? And when he left, the New York Times did a scathing story. Yeah. You know, about just what a bad job he had done and right, how, right. how bad he left the department. Then he was hired by the, the county to be the director of the airport. Yep. And after a couple of years on that job, the mayor removed his ability to have anything to do with procurement right. because uh, of all, a bad job he was doing there. So Emilio's not had, you know... He's, he's look, not had a spotless record. I mean, right. he is... Uh, it's it's funny too because he gets the benefit of the doubt, especially in a lot of media. I mean, uh, you mentioned the negative piece in the New York Times, but locally you'll you'll hear people be really glowing about him. Yeah, and it's on this weird unearned reputation that I've never been able to understand. Well, he's a he's a military guy, and 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 you tend to give yeah you know, benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Cut, yeah, cut him some slack. I mean, he's a, he was a colonel in the military. That's why I, that's why I started calling him Colonel Clink. Yeah, and he looks the part too. He's got yeah. the yeah the Colonel yeah. Clink vibe down. The Colonel he he's, he he once asked me if I could promote him to general. 
<laughs> said he didn't like being Colonel Clink. If I could, if I could promote him to General Buckhauser or whatever, I yeah, you know, I didn't even know who he was talking about when he when he asked me this because I I really didn't watch Hogan's Hero. <laughs> I had to go watch the show to find to out get the reference. It, it was that little fat German general that uh, that he wanted me to name, you know. But uh, so he, um, you know, obviously. Uh, not to make light of it, but his his uh, he, his wife has been dealing with an illness lately, yeah. and that provided just enough of a weakness or an opening um, in terms of you know for Coroyo to come after him for of all things just like building code violations, right? No, 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 no. Listen, like I say, I disagree with Joe. I would, I would, I would, I would have a duel with him. I'd have a knife fight with him. I have no problem with that. I mean, Joe is. Joe is, I think, very bad for the city, and, and, and I believe that if nobody else will stand up and fight him, I'm going to stand up and fight him. But at the same time, he's not wrong about some of the things he, he, he says. It's just he sometimes over-dramatizes things. Sometimes, yeah, he flat-out lies. Uh, he's a politician. But in this case, I tend to believe Joe. I tend to believe that he got information from some source of his inside the building department because that's the only way he could have done this. Joe doesn't do what I do or other people do of going around digging up documents or whatever. People bring him stuff. So I'm sure somebody bought him this information yeah. and they verified it and, it, and that it's true. Uh, that Emilio was able to get a permit processed for this dock in an hour and 23 minutes, yeah. which is unheard of. Now, the fact that Joe had done a similar thing and had been accused of a similar thing, which a case, which by the way, is a case that's still open. I mean, his case of building stuff oh, really? at his house without that. a permit. Yeah, no, it's still open. Huh. Yeah. So he's, he, he... What is that, like before the Ethics Commission or who's... No, that? it's before the Code Enforcement. Code Enforcement. But, so, so that's what kicked it off. Uh, and before that, what it really got him, Joe pissed at, the, at Emilio was Emilio got cute. Emilio being a military man, and this is Joe talking. Joe said that one time a year and a half ago or whatever, Emilio, you know, he and Emilio were having a private conversation, uh, and the question came up of whether Joe had ever been in the military. And he said that, no, he had been in the unrestricted reserve, or I forget now what the... Hmm. I remember this, yeah. though. So he had, been, he had been in the reserves. Yeah. Um, and so last year uh, on Veterans Day, uh, Emilio had two certificates made up, one for Joe and one for the, another city commissioner who had been in the Army National Reserve, or National Guard, yeah. and had done a big to-do at the beginning of the meeting by giving Willie Gort, the other commissioner, the other commissioner this, this certificate of you know, uh, service, honoring so, his yeah. service. Right. Joe wasn't there, but he had the certificate for Joe, and he said, oh, I'll send it to his office. And then uh, a week or so later, two weeks later, they had a ceremony at the MRC building where to honor the veterans, and Emilio invited Joe personally to come, made a point of saying, you know, all the other commissioners are going to be there or whatever. Joe showed up, and Emilio said, and, and I, my first person I'd like to introduce is Commissioner Carroyo, who's in the, in, the, in the United States Marine Reserve, whatever. And Joe had to get up and said, no, I'm, I'm in the 
I was in the um, whatever reserves. Yeah. Um, so this was a stitch up. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He Emilio, Emilio Joe's correct in that, that. That Joe set him up. <laughs> I mean, that Emilio set him up. And so when I was tipped off about this, I mean, I it didn't take me but about fifteen minutes to to think about it and said, no, this is this is a setup. You know, Emilio set Joe up on this. Because I've yeah I've known Joe a long time. Joe never ever mentioned the Marines. Never wore any from you know any jacket, Marine jackets right, or anything. Like never never made an issue of, of of being uh, in the military, hmm. uh, which he would have had he had he actually been. Oh yeah, for sure. He so would, he's so, the kind of guy that would have played yeah. it up, and you would know about it. Right. So so I I tended to believe that Joe got set up, and I, but I wrote him and and asked him said is it true you know whatever and. Joe could have just killed everything by saying, no, this isn't true. I was in college. I joined the ROTC. When I finished college, I was given this you know, certificate, made me a private. It's a DD-56 or right. whatever number it is. But Joe didn't do that. Joe decided, because he's a drama queen, that he would just allow this to percolate and simmer because right. he, he figured he would use it to his own advantage, which he eventually did. Yeah, that's one of the things that... that I didn't know that context. Yeah. I knew the story about Coroyo and the supposed stolen valor and whether or not what branch he was in and exactly what the extent of his service was, but that's interesting. I had no idea that, yeah. Yeah, Joe, (laughs) listen, Joe's a lot of things, but, you know, he's... uh, The worst thing about that incident was, like I said, that he could have ended it very quickly. Right. And chose not to. So I'm sure he recognized that there was an opportunity here somewhere mm-hmm. for him. You know, he, he too recognized that Emilio had set him up and that he, there would be an opportunity for him to get back. Right. So how, how he did it was that he got Emilio at a city commission meeting. He said, uh, Mr. Manager, can I get you to come over here for a moment? I need your help on something. Emilio walks over to him and Joe picks up this folder you know, from the dais and hands him to him and says, would you read this for me, please? And of course, it's the DD fifty six where it says that he was a private and, and uh, you know, yeah. and honorably discharged and whatever. So he just he basically made Emilio his bitch. Yeah, just really just just <laughs> you know, and Emilio just looked like a fool. Right. So, but Joe at that same time had by then already had the information about this deck, mm-hmm. and he let it string out for a few months. He, this was a this was a discussion item that never got brought up for discussion until two weeks ago. And it was always sort of lurking in the ether. Right. Yeah. So so that was uh, so he he made this these accusations, and of course Emilio wasn't there. But the truth of the matter is, it really wasn't an issue about Emilio. Emilio could or could not have been at the city commission meeting for that for that thing. It would have been nice if he had been. But the real accusation is that city employees were used to do this. Right. So the person or persons that needed to be dis- you know, talked to and, and interviewed and questioned were the city employees. Now, the argument, the overarching argument is that the city manager abused his official position by having city employees under his control do this. Right, which would be... Absolutely flagrant and right. corrupt. But but the real the real people who did it are the city employees in the building department. Mm-hmm. So that's who you need to talk with. So that's what kicked off the the issue two weeks ago. 
at the meeting that the fight happened with between Joe and, and Keon was that he wanted the I think Keon wanted to introduce right public comment pertinent right. to the Super Bowl or something like that right and there. also yeah. Emilio to allow Emilio to, allow to rebut yeah and they didn't want to do that because what they wanted to do was fire Emilio. They just first. wanted to railroad him out, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, but uh, hey, there's going to be more This is complicated fights. for you. I can't yeah. imagine because, like, okay, you've got Keon Hardiman, who, if anybody knows about him, there's questionable, you know, fundraising and family relations there. There's the Suarez clan. You've already gone into Emilio Gonzalez. There's no clean sides in a lot of these Folks, stories that you write. I know if you're listening to this by now, you're totally confused. Right? Trust me, I understand that. And <laughs> and as I, it's it's really a lot of information to to try to comprehend in one sitting. Yeah. Uh, in one way, I could ask you to go to my blog because I've written all of the stuff down in in detail. It's www.crespo c r e s p o g r a m like telegram. It's crespogram news news.com and if you scroll down to the bottom of the first page you know you will see that i have an archive it says 2018 to 2020 even if you only read just the stories from january 1st of this year you'll get a <laughs> a, 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 a flavor for for what this is all about and you can and find I'm, the link to that in this episode description so you can click on that too to get over there and, and bookmark and, uh, and, and again, I'm sure that if you live in wherever you live that's not Miami, you'll say, this is all insane. And in some ways, it really is all insane. Right. I mean, Miami is, is a very funny place. Today, there are a lot of communities who have public corruption. Public corruption is nothing new. It's as American as apple pie, yeah, if you want to use that old expression. Uh, but Miami's public corruption is of a different flavor, in part because it's a generational thing that keeps repeating itself from generation to generation. You got the current mayor, whose father was mayor. You've got Joe Carroyo, whose brother was a city commissioner before he was, mm -hmm. and before he was, yeah, it was Joe. I mean, it, it's it's like these guys. They, they we keep recycling the same politicians in in, in the county government. Yeah. A guy named Alex Pinellas, who was the mayor in two thousand when the Ilian Gonzalez case, you know, became national and international news. The little boy who was found floating out there in the Atlantic. The Joe Carroyo was the mayor then, yeah. and and Alex Pinellas was the county mayor. And that was the year that Al Gore ran for president. Mm -hmm. And Al Gore supposedly at one point said that in his dealings with Alex Pinellas that he had been the most corrupt uh, public official he had ever had to deal with in his entire life. Well, guess who's running for mayor he again? He might be our mayor to the county. Alex <laughs> Pinellas. And the guy who's the biggest guy who's fundraising, you know, who's raising money for him is a guy named Mike Hernandez, who was a billionaire who owned... A, a healthcare company that he sold to a company that now has Magic Johnson yeah. as their spokesman. Well, Mike Hernandez and his family have given Alex Pinellas so far close to a million dollars in his pack. Who gives somebody a million dollars? 
if they don't expect a million dollars of returns. <laughs> At least. So, so these are the kinds of things that are just everyday occurrences in Miami. And in the county, Pinellas is running against one of the names that we've mentioned. Uh, one of the many names we've mentioned, Xavier Suarez, right. is another current county commissioner who is, it's the same last goddamn names over and over and yeah. over, just recycling, like you said. So so that's that's Miami, <laughs> yeah. uh, or as I end almost all of my stories, it's Miami, bitches. <laughs> that's the way it is in this city. So, uh, you know, I have, I have written amazing stories. I just, I wake up some mornings laughing at, at what I'm going to write about that day because it just, it's the only thing that keeps me do, doing this. I'm a 70 year, I'm 78 years old. I'm not rich. You know, I got, I'm, on a, I'm on a social security <laughs> pension, right? And I wake up in the morning and that's what gets me to wake up in the morning is writing these stories because they're all amazing. They're all amazing. These guys just do amazing things and they do it and are able to do it because the public in Miami is so apathetic, so dysfunctional, so fragmented and, and, and just not paying attention. There's a million yeah. other things that have their attention. Miami, unfortunately, is a city, and I tell people this a lot. Miami is a city that is one of the poorest cities in the country. It's got tremendous income inequality. And the reason it's got tremendous income inequality is that many of the people who live in Miami do not spend their, their what's called uh, disposable income. Yeah. They don't spend it in the community. They send that money back to other countries right. where their relatives are. There have been reports in the past that as much as five, six, seven billion dollars leave this county. Yeah, remittances. Remittances right. to Mexico, to Cuba, to Guatemala, to Argentina, to to countries, and not just Central and South America. But, but countries in, uh, all over the world that right. people come here and work two and three jobs and send all that money to. So when you work two or three jobs, the opportunities or the desire or even the energy to pay attention to what the hell's going on at City Hall yeah. is beyond most people's capabilities. And the politicians know this. So they're able to do all the crazy things that they do because... The public's not paying attention. The newspaper's no longer the paper it used to be. The TV stations don't really report news. They've got 22 minutes of, of airtime minus commercial, you know. Yeah, the commercial. and a lot of times it ends up being stenography like you. Yeah, like oh, it, it, it's, it's about, oh, they have funny stories about the bear who climbed up a tree in New York mm -hmm. or the deer's running across the grass or something stupid that happened in, in, in 14 other places other than Miami. Other than Miami. And meanwhile, important shit is happening here. Right. So there's no real reporting done uh, in depth on an ongoing basis. There's a there's a, a website called Broward Blog. They do stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's divided between Dade County and Broward County. I write what I write. There's a woman named Elaine Valley who writes the Valley, who writes yep. some stuff. 
but former Herald reporter, the La Ladra, right. yeah, yeah. But there's not there's not a lot of real in depth reporting, and of the in depth reporting that there is, most of it is done in the Cuban, in the Latin news. A lot area. of it's on AM radio. A lot of it is on AM radio Spanish has language. talk show radio in the morning, talk show radio throughout the day, and Latin television. Mm-hmm. American English television covers almost nothing. Yeah, they hit it and yeah. skip, just a, just as just a little dusting, and 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 they're off to to fluff and 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 entertainment news yeah. and movie actors and all that crap. So so. When you have that kind of a, an environment and you have people who are not dumb, they understand all of this. They understand how the world works. They understand how politics works. So they take advantage of it. And uh, what you end up with are stories. So whether you live in Miami or you live somewhere else or you're out there in Vegas, California, any of our listeners around the, around the country, if you like stories, you got to follow Crespo Graham News dot com go there subscribe bookmark it i i I would like people to read me i mean i i'm probably the best read blogger in miami for what i do yeah i would say so (laughs) i mean i i I don't have a huge following but let me let me ask you this do you ever get the 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 sort of secondary waves where you realize that other people are reading you like where uh i know the classic move always is for the the big paper in town to sort of crib or, or rip off, or you just hear about the fact that, oh, the mayor reads your blog, so-and-so, anything, does you ever have Oh, no, I know, like every, everybody in City Hall reads my blog. <laughs> I mean, some of them will tell you, oh, I don't read that crap, but they read it. They read it. They, they have read to. It. No, yeah, they, yeah you, you you read it, you, 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 you take it at your own pearl if you don't read me. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's funny, what's funny for me, I have a, a very bad relationship with with the Herald. <laughs> almost, and by the way, let me preface that by saying, by what you're going to say by saying that almost every journalist who doesn't work at the Herald, and even a whole bunch who do, have a bad relationship in this town, have a bad relationship with the Herald. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, my relationship with the Herald is this. I do real reporting. It's not saying that, there are Herald reporters who don't do the same thing because they are. But the story I've got out right now about homeless people, nobody gave me that information. Mm-hmm. I just got in my car, drove around, saw the homeless people, got out in my car, and started talking to them. That's how, that's, that's how you develop a story. Right. Had a camera, took photographs of what I saw, and, and, and then developed the story after I had done all those things. So the Herald doesn't do that. The Herald, the, 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 the people who cover City Hall and whatever, they don't do that. They don't, you don't see them out on the streets. Mm-hmm. They, they hang around City Hall and, and get spoon-fed and, and will spend three hours talking to the mayor in his office. Or, or following a public schedule. Whatever, or yeah. Like that, yeah. Uh, or take the press release or whatever. So first of all, they don't do real reporting. Secondly, if I do real reporting, it pisses them off. So I have a number of people, and so I know that it's true, who tell me that if the Herald reporter calls them about a story, or if they call a Herald reporter about a story, 
the first words out of the out of the reporter's mouth is, "Does Crespo know about this? <laughs> Have you told Crespo? If they say yes, they won't write about yeah. it." So, and if and and you can verify this on my Twitter page because I do the same thing. I'm a firm believer that people are entitled to information. I have, I'm, 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 I don't, I don't believe in hoarding information. I believe that if I read a story by anybody that I think is important, I retweet it. Mm-hmm. It's no big to do. It's a button. I push a button, and 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 a f- close to four thousand people who are on my Twitter page, they get to read it too, right. if they haven't read it already. But you will never find. Anybody from the Miami Herald or anybody from Miami New Times or anybody from any of the television stations retweeting any story that I write. It, it, to me, it feels like, and I left, I left the Herald before Twitter was really a big thing, but it feels almost like it's a policy. It like, is a policy. Yeah, like don't, don't do that because you take away from us if yeah. you do that. Yeah, which is it is a policy. Bullshit. But it's, uh, yeah. So so like so so it deprives it deprives the it deprives the, the community of knowledge. Hey, am I always right? No. Do I make mistakes? Yeah. But I make few mistakes. And if I do, not only do I, I own up to them, but I try to correct them. But more importantly, what I do that nobody else does is that I just don't sit down and write a story, 500 words or 700 words or whatever, and post it. I craft stories that are designed to incorporate video, audio, documents, mm. PDFs. Yeah. You know, when you read, you read my stories, you will see that, you know, like today's story on homelessness, I've got, I think, two, three videos on there. Yeah. I've got links to to stories from you know from other sources. Documents. I've got yeah. documents. I've got uh, portions of of, uh, of uh, tax returns. I've got all of that information on there, and I try to do that with all the stories that I write because I believe that I don't want you to believe what I say. I want you to see everything that I've got that you can see. I had the FBI come to me. A couple of years back. Oh, listen, we read your stuff, and we'd like to know if you'd like to be a confidential informant. <laughs> and I said, fuck you. <laughs> I said, what do you mean, confidential informant? I'm a writer. I write stories. Whatever I get, it's on my website. There's nothing confidential about what I do. Right. And if by chance you they can't... They wanted some inside shit. Inside, well, but, inside shit. I don't, but your I don't, shit's outside. I don't, but no, no, I do have inside stuff that I, that I can't prove. Right. But, but, you know, basically what I write is what I've got. Right. And as soon as I got it, I try to get it up and out because, you know, I'm just overwhelmed. I got right now seven, eight stories backed up, you know, that uh, in different pieces that I haven't yet managed to put together. So they wanted me to be a confidential informant. I told them no. Good. Never heard from them since. Yeah. Which is another That's problem a- in this community. Because, you know, when you see how the FBI manages to entrap people in other communities, and, and in one case, you know, there's a guy, uh, the famous guy, the, the UN professor whose daughter is the director of code enforcement here in Miami, in the city of Miami. Yeah, I've heard about that, yeah. Uh, 
name I don't remember. Bagley, guy named uh, Bruce Bagley, mm-hmm. UM professor, who's an expert in money laundering and whatever. Right. And the yeah, feds got, got him got, for money. They just got him, right. what, a month ago? Yeah. Right. So, a few months ago. So here's the deal. The Southern District of New York is the office, the prosecutor's office, who filed the indictment on this guy. Everything that happened in that case happened in South Florida. Right. The banks were located in South Florida. The actual physical transactions where, where Bagley was alleged to have gone to these banks and whatever, all that occurred in South Florida. Yet it was the Southern District of New York that filed the it opened the case and, and, and has filed the indictment. Why? Why is that? They said, oh, well, because the money went through a wire transfer, it went through New York. Right. I think it was more than that. I think it's because the local FBI and, and, and state U.S. Attorney's Office in, in, in South Florida would not do it. Right, they wouldn't touch it. They wouldn't touch it. And that's, that's a, a huge problem. Yeah, that's a here. The state's attorney, I have called her corrupt 14 different ways from Sunday. Mm-hmm. Right? I call her the queen of swag. She has taken over $100,000 in gifts in a, in, a, in, a, in a 10 or 11 year period of time. And I've documented it. Right. I've documented she has taken flowers, hotel rooms, jewelry, tickets to, to basketball games, football games, Super Bowl games, Super Bowl parties, uh, gala events. She takes and, and takes it from law firms and takes it from all kinds of people. Everybody says, oh, well, Kathy's such a nice person. Right. Oh, she's been around forever. She's yeah. done this job forever. Yeah. And, and the prosecutors who work for her office, yeah, they, it was, to their credit, it was the feds who had to step in with a higher leader. We have a case where there was a higher policeman. We talked about this on the show before, the um, uh, Angel Montalvo, I think was right. his name. And, uh, yeah, who credibly accused years ago by... A number of women, including a 14-year-old underage girl um, of sexual misconduct, sexual assault, brought the case to the state's attorney. Nothing ever happened with it. Um, and as you were, I think, alluding to, the feds finally had to step in and do yeah. something about this guy. And now there's a, a fifth woman who's come forward to, with accusations. But again, how does that happen? Right? I mean, Catherine Fernandez Rundle and and and... These are, these are stories that are on my website. If you go back to the year 2012, they're on my website from 2012. Catherine Fernandez Rundle wanted a street named after her. In fact, there was a street named after her by the Florida legislature. But the city of Miami, the, there was a city commissioner who, was, who didn't like her and refused to introduce the legislation at the city level in order to, 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 to name the street. Okay. So at the same time, there were allegations made by Joe Carroyo, of all people, <laughs> against Tomas Rigolato. That's another one of Joe's tricks. Joe, Joe will drop a dime on you in a minute. So Joe dropped a dime on Tomas Rigolato and the fact that his campaign finances were screwy. You know, that, that there were serious problems with, uh-huh. his, with his campaign finances when he first ran for mayor in 2010. So during the time that the state's attorney, and the state's attorney, Joe went to the state's attorney, she refused to do anything, and so they kicked it to the ethics commission. 
Instead of making it a criminal case, they made it an ethics an violation ethics case. Yeah. They, they, they did the case, and while the case is going through the ethics process, there's correspondence between Kathy Fernandez's office and Tomas Rigolato to get the, the street named after him. <laughs> and at the end of the day, this is the really kicker. This is the pisser part. They allowed the statute of limitations. There was a possibility that, that, that he could have been indicted right. for, for what he did, him and his daughter. Mm -hmm. They allowed the statute of limitations to run out. And within minutes after the statute of limitations ran out, Rigolato's lawyer wrote and said they'd accept a, uh, an ethics violation. You know. <laughs> You can go read it. You can go and, and the Herald. The Herald was so solicitous of 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 his daughter and all this. Right, and, she's I mean, always been a favorite. Yeah. Well, I, I, at this point, I don't know three, four times loser in, in a number of different elections. But yeah, yeah, she's always been. Yeah. Sort so of, so so go look. So so go if if for if for those of you who are interested, go to my 2012 archive. Uh, it's around March, March or April, and uh, it's. Uh, you know, it's, it's stories about Catherine Fernandez Rondo and uh, what a friend we have in Kathy, I think it was called, or something mm -hmm. like that. But there's, yeah, it, it's just amazing the things. Again, these are the kinds of stories that... Uh, well, there was, there was no collusion between you and I beforehand, but what you just did is a very, 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 very good, and I'll tell this to the listeners, a great promo for who our guest is next week. I'm going to keep it a little bit under wraps until then, but I want to thank Al Crespo for showing up and being on Bird Road. Al, thank you so much. Hey, thank you.